Whether you're just looking to stay warm during a hunt or need maximum concealment, the clothing you wear can make or break a hunt. At MidwayUSA.com, we understand hunting clothing has come a long way with more meticulously crafted camo patterns, advanced scent control technologies, and weatherproof options to withstand the elements. Hunters have to wait until their favorite season, but shouldn't wait on gear, which is why MidwayUSA offers super-fast shipping. When you're ready for your next system, log on to MidwayUSA.com. At Midway USA, we know the AR-15 is one of the most popular rifles in modern American history. Known for its modularity and widespread use, it's often considered essential to any gun collection. The essential things you need to run an AR-15 are usually always in stock during shortages, things like magazines and 5.56 ammo. Whether you're looking to buy a new AR-15 or buy parts for your modern sporting rifle, log on and for just about everything for the outdoors, shop MidwayUSA.com. Welcome back to the Paddling Fin Podcast Network. We're brought to you by Yak Gadget. For all your fine kayak fishing accessories, go to yakgadget.com. Pelican cases, coolers, and lighting. Go to pelican.com. And the 153 Bait Company. For all your hard and soft bait needs, go to the 153anglers.com. Now let's get this show started. Welcome back to the Bass Fishing for Noobs segment here on the Paddle and Fin Podcast. As you can hear, we're giving the uh, new intros a try, so that is a work in progress, but I hope you guys like uh, how that's going so far. Um, I am the host of Bass Fishing for Noobs, Sean Lavery, and I'd like to welcome all of our listeners. Uh, tonight, uh, we have a guest with us who's going to talk about uh, a species of bass that I have yet to fish for. It's definitely a bucket list uh, species for me. Um, and I uh, look forward to, at some point, uh, traveling to a place where I can uh, attempt to catch one of these. Um, but uh, to introduce that, I, I'd like to welcome Garrett Pate onto the show. So I'll add him in here. Hi, Garrett. How are you, sir? Hey, good. How about yourself, man? I'm doing great. I'm doing pretty good. A Thursday night, getting closer to the weekend, finally. So uh, I'll be uh, much happier tomorrow evening uh, about this time. So... <laughs> Yeah, and fortunately for me, I have to work this weekend, so uh, yeah, that stinks. I'm sorry to hear that. Well, I hope you still get some time to get out, maybe, so um, maybe sneak out now and then. Uh, I just came mm -hmm. off call last week, and I have two more weeks, and then I'm on call for two weeks in a row, so just picking up a week for a vacation for my friends. I'm not looking forward to that, but uh, I'm living the dream right now until I get to that point, so, but it. So for the folks who aren't familiar with you, um, why don't you let the people know uh, who you are, where you're from, and kind of how you got into fishing and best uh, 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 fishing if you fish from a kayak or where you like to fish, how you like to fish, that kind of thing. Okay. Well, um, my name is Garrett Pate. Um, I live out in, in, in Georgia. I'm originally from California. Um, grew up there until I was about 12 years old and I moved to, moved to Georgia. My dad was looking for better work. He's a truck driver. Um, we moved out here, and that's kind of my introduction into freshwater fishing. When I lived in California when I was younger, my dad used to take us to Newport Beach, the pier. We would do cod fishing off the bank or something like that. Um, really didn't do freshwater fishing when I was really that young. Um, it wasn't until I got to Georgia, and my dad started taking me bass fishing. We would just walk the bank, um, just like any other normal kids would do. Just find a little pond somewhere and go fishing. And Back then, I was really... Um, Kind of find trying to find my way. I did a, actually a little more pan fishing than I did bass fishing. My dad was usually walking around the lake doing sight fishing, looking for bass on bed right on the bank. And I was me and my brothers were playing with like little fly fishing flies. We would tie it to some lightweight light tackle and throw those out there and let the bluegill just tear them up. So there you go. Every night we'd jig for a crappie or something like that. But if we were lucky, we would catch a little small bass just messing around, and that kind of piqued my interest in the fishing. Um, my older brother actually got me into aquarium fishing. Now, I said fishing, aquarium fish. <laughs> Okay, <laughs> he, I was going to say. Raised, <laughs> he raised aquarium fish growing up, um, and they're mainly cichlids, South American cichlids and African cichlids. So we, we were really deep into that, had all the books. We studied them, understood, you know, all the different types and different species of African and South American cichlids, understanding their water content, what, what, you know, 
the alkalinity levels of the water, stuff like that. We built habitats for them, all that stuff kids, you know, we like to do. Um, and I actually learned a lot about fishing doing that. And I, I didn't realize, it, yeah, I didn't realize it's a lot later on that doing that as a kid helped me understand fish behavior. Um, and if you don't know fish behavior, you're going to have a hard time catching fish. So fast forward to um, 2007, I've been in the Army roughly four years. Um, I joined the Army in 2004, and I was going, I was, went to Iraq in 2006, um, came home on leave, and my wife introduced me to a guy named John, who was a family friend. His, uh, his wife actually worked for my wife's father. He owned a plumbing company for a long time. And while I was, when I met with him, we got to talking about fishing and I was telling him how I wanted to go up to uh, one of our local lakes, Lake Lanier and do some striped bass fishing. He was like, hey man, have you ever thought about kayak fishing? And I was like, no, I've not really you know, thought about it. You know, never even crossed my mind that that was even a thing. Um, <laughs> so he takes me in the garage and he has this red kayak sitting in there. Um, it, was a Jack, it was the first model of Jackson Coosa. Um, Drew Gregory actually fished with him. Oh, wow. they, I know they know each other. Uh, it was way back. I'm talking like 2007 was kind of when Drew Gregory was doing this thing, river bassing and kind of trying to figure out the first sit on top kayaks and things like that. Because I think at the time he was fishing out of like a Pelican, um, one of those ocean kayaks or something. It was, it was an older kayak, wasn't this clip in seat old school. And that's what they were using in the rivers. And he was showing me pictures of all these shoal bass that he was catching. And I was just like mesmerized by this fish because I had never heard of a shoal bass and I lived in Georgia. And I was like, the only thing I knew was, was you know, large mouth and spotted bass. Right. I was like, so what is, what's the deal with these shoal bass? He was like, it's the, you know, the funnest fish to catch. You'll never want to catch anything else. We chase them in the rivers. And I'm just like, kind of like, okay, okay. But at the time I was so engulfed with at the, what I was doing at the time, I was, I mean, we were in the middle of fighting war. So I was on, I was actually home on leave for two weeks and going back to Iraq to finish my deployment. So finished the deployment, came home. Um, nothing really ever developed for a long time, surprisingly. Um, just got caught up with life, kids, marriage, um, army life. I was going to say adjusting back to non-wartime life. I'm sure that's a challenge. Yeah. And we were still training at the time. I mean, this is going all the way up until 2018. Okay. Dipping my toe in the back. Um, I was really just not into walking around doing banks. I was like, you know what, this bank fishing stuff is not <laughs> interesting anymore. I mean, that's what I was doing. I was literally going to local lakes with, with one or two rods and kept just fishing from a dock, fishing from a bank, walking through briar bushes and everything else. So yep. um, I went to I went on a training mission to what we call JRTC, Joint Readiness Training Center, and it's a where they, they put you in the field for 30 days and you, you train up like you're on a deployment, you know, fighting a, a notional enemy. And during that time, I was on a detail that was kind of boring. And me and a buddy of mine, my buddy Steven, he's actually another team new canoe member of ours. But uh, we were sitting there in this, in this building just doing this detail and we had a lot of downtime. So I did have good internet access being there because the miles gear that they use bounce off wet wireless signals. So we had good cell phone service we were at. And we were, I was just, I, somehow I come across Robert Fields field trips videos and I just started watching them and was like, this is freaking awesome. Like, what have I been missing the last 10, 12 years? Like, this is, <laughs> this is what I should have been doing this entire time. And it kind of just hit me like a ton of bricks and it literally every day for almost 30 days. That's what I watched was kayak fishing videos. So the, the ball, the wheel was turning already. I kind of told my buddy, Steven, I was like, Hey man, I'm getting a kayak. When I get home, I will find a way to be on the water. So I was doing a lot of research from there. Uh, got home in May, May timeframe of that year. Um, and, um, was doing a lot of like digging on Facebook through the marketplace. Just mm -hmm. kayak. I was looking at sun dolphins, all kinds of craziness, not really knowing exactly what I wanted to do. I didn't really have any direction. I didn't have anybody to go to to be like, hey, these are the better kayaks to buy. So I found Headwaters Kayak and Dan Arbuckle. I found one of his videos. He had a $1,000 kayak video, and I knew I didn't want to spend a whole bunch of money because I knew if I didn't like it, it would be something I could probably get out of. And there right. were several boats lined up there, and I was like, okay, I'll, I'll pick one of these boats for $1,000, and I actually found a dealer that actually sold them, which was Westbrook Supply with Fletch. Yeah, 
right, was a big fish 105. And that I got that around June, started fishing in July, hitting some reservoirs and never looked back from there. And of course, I've been through three or four kayaks since then. So um, shoal bass for me was not long after that first kayak purchase. So we went down the river for the first time in November of 2018. And uh, the river we went down was the Old Mogi River, which is a plentiful habitat for shoal bass in the state of Georgia. Um, so that's pretty much how I got into kayak fishing and where I am today. Um, Go ahead. I, I, I said I, I I heard you say you're on Team New Canoe, so that's that's pretty cool. What what boat are you fishing out of right now? I'm in an unlimited now. Okay. Uh, was I started with a Flint? Uh, realized I'm six foot one, two hundred and twenty, two hundred thirty pounds, give or take whatever time of the year you catch me in. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so that I noticed that boat just felt a little bit too small, very stable. Uh, for what it's for even with me in there, I could stand up in that boat and fish. It just wasn't as comfortable as I wanted to be. So I, I paddled the F12 before and I paddled the F10. I ended up going towards the F10 because I like skinny water. So mm -hmm. the F10, it was wide enough. It carried all my gear. I could stand up on a dime. I was like, okay, this is a good boat for me to be in the river. A little, little harder to paddle upstream with it, but it gets the job done. If you're a, if you're a skilled paddler, you can. Don't let people scare you away from saying, "Hey, a F10 is it doesn't go up stream well, it doesn't paddle well. It, it'll get, it'll go up some pretty good heavy current. So, you'll be a little tired, but you'll get there. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, I, I had an F10 for a while, and then when the Unlimited came out, I naturally upgraded to the Unlimited, knowing that it was a good riverboat. I needed something with some more length to it, um, a little faster. So it made sense for me to go that direction. Okay, and are you mostly paddling, or do you pedal or motor? Uh, so I do have a pivot drive on it that okay. I take off from time to time, whether depending on the situation I'm fishing in. Um, so I have that. I also have that on the F10 as well. I just converted over to the F to the Unlimited when I got my Unlimited, made a couple parts changes, and it's on my Unlimited now. So I I, do, I paddle and I do that, and I'm I'm thinking about dipping my toe into the. <laughs> little bit I'm, I'm, I'm that's that's more to follow on that okay okay no i'm i'm kind of in a similar boat i i started out with a wilderness system starpin 100 and uh jumped to a coos hd and um then i wanted to pedal so i now right now i'm in a hobie outback um mm. but i am in the process i am in the process of looking for a river boat uh because i miss that part of the kusa because the the Coos HD was awesome in the rivers. Um, That's a great river boat. And uh, I, I, if I, my wife wouldn't have maybe traded in so that I could buy the Hobie, I, I probably wouldn't still ha would definitely still have it. But uh, so I'm looking to kind of get back into that. I've been checking out the Unlimited. I'm kind of waiting for uh, Drew Gregory to come out with his newest uh, Crescent. Uh, I know there's one in the works that he designed. So I'm, I'm trying to be patient and wait for that one. Uh, my patience is slowly wearing away, though. So uh, the Unlimited is looking more and more appealing every day. But uh, I will say this about New Canoe. If you don't want things in your way, they won't be there. And that's what yeah. I love about New Canoe. Things can get chaotic on current. And that's the one less thing I have to worry about. It's a rod getting hung up on something, something not being in position while I'm sitting in current, fighting current, maybe fighting the fish. I'm kind of have free rang around me, almost like an F-16 cockpit. People don't know about fighter planes is that that F-16 is designed where that pilot sits up at a point where he can see 360 degrees around him. Unlike in other, other planes where you're kind of sitting down in it and you, you have a limited visibility. Kind of the way I look at the new canoe is that I have ability to do things 360 degrees around me with unimpeded so keep that i had mind. a chance i had a chance to check out the um the new canoes down when we had our dale hollow meetup uh jimmy uh skinner had his down there so i got to check out that and it uh that one was pretty sweet and i really liked the open layout uh for that exact reason um, I like my Outback. Uh, it seems like everything on there is where I need it to be but there's definitely times when i'm on the river and moving current that uh, I wish I didn't have as much stuff right around me because so you're. You were up at Dale Hollow. I was at Dale Hollow last year for the Palinfin meetup. Not at not this year at the tournament uh, thing that they had, but last year in the fall we had a uh, a meetup down there for the Palinfin crew, and uh, so that was my first time down there. Uh, 
probably the farthest I had driven from Pennsylvania, uh, to fish especially. Uh, so I, it was tough fishing when we were down there too, kind of out of character from what I understand for Dale Hollow. We, we had like a little tournament and, uh, you know, uh, most of us struggled, uh, to find fish, you know, uh, I think, that Good. might be something that might be going into character because when we were down there for the tournament, it was terrible fishing conditions. I mean, like you said, it was it was tough sledding to find any fish. Hunting boots are a critical component of any successful hunt. Whether walking a short distance to your blind or trudging miles through rugged terrain, your feet are carrying the load. Without the right boots, you could give up early and lose out on that trophy just over the ridge. At Midway USA, we make selecting boots for your next hunt easier. With just a few clicks of a mouse, you can decide on what's important, like waterproofing, insulation, size, width, and savings. For just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. That's I mean, kind of how it was when we were there. And I mean, I, I managed to catch, uh, I think, three, and none of them measured, you know. And, and But I, I was actually one of the more productive ones from the guys who were fishing. The, even the people who won didn't hit the five fish limit. You know, I think the, the person who won had three and, you know, you know, I think the top three had three and then it went down from there. So it was definitely tough fishing and it, it kind of surprised me because I was actually looking forward to fishing someplace other than the places that I've always fished. Cause I kind of, you know, wear out my local bodies of water. I know kind of know them inside and out because, cause I fished them so much and I was kind of looking forward to, to trying someplace new and they, you know, we heard lots of great stories about the smallmouth there and, you know, I was really looking forward to it, but, uh, it just, like I said, and like you said, it was, it was definitely tough fishing. So. Yeah. We don't got, we don't have a lot of smallmouth in the state of Georgia. There's a couple of tributaries that hold them way up North, but that's really all we have. We have to go into Tennessee and some other bodies of water just to get on smallmouth. So. Okay. It's, it's, we're searching for that. We were searching for a good smallmouth bite for that tournament and, High, very high expectations for um, for Del Hollow, it being the home of the champion, the, you know, the world record freaking smallmouth at the time. So, right, like, like I, th- th- this is a, a win-win situation. We're gonna catch something that's gonna be brown. So <laughs> that happens. So, <laughs> yeah, no, I, I was the same way, and I am looking forward to going back. Uh, you know, I it just uh, I, w- I just wish it wasn't. Uh, 13 and a half hours away. That was a long drive, but, uh, <laughs> um, so, uh, speaking of shoal bass, that's what we'd like to talk about tonight. And, um, again, I have never fished for them, uh, never knew of where they are in the country. You know, uh, I've definitely heard of them. Um, I, when you and I were talking a little bit, you were saying, that if you can catch smallmouth, the tactics are very similar for shoal bass. So that excites me because smallmouth fishing has probably replaced largemouth fishing for me as my favorite. Um, A, because uh, they just fight harder than any other fish I've ever caught. And like I've caught a 15 inch smallmouth that fights harder than a 20 inch largemouth. You know, largemouth, when I catch them, they're kind of like, ah, crap, you got me. You know, so they do fight a little bit, but nothing like uh smallmouth you know in the susquehanna river i happen to uh luckily live only you know 15 minutes from there so i have a huge smallmouth factory in my backyard and uh you know pound for pound i think they're the strongest fish you know that i've ever fished for so likewise um i actually live 15 minutes from the old mogi river which is our shoal bass factory for me um, <laughs> I can dip out of here and go put in the river down there and um, be on shoal bass pretty much immediately. Um, so shoal bass, yes, you were, like I was telling you earlier that, you know, if you fish for smallmouth in current, you've already completed half the battle in shoal bass. There are, they're very, very similar. Um, there are some differences. I will say that. Um, you can fish them like any other family, black bass family. Uh, same baits, you'll use the same stuff to catch them. Just depends on what they're wanting that day. But I will say that there have been days on the river where I feel like I was fishing two different species. <laughs> so one day you go out there and it seems like they're just a aggressive fish that just wants to eat everything and you have no problem catching them. And then there's days you go out there and you're like, okay, where are they at? And I, I've never really understood that. And patterning these fish 
can sometimes it's as easy as it should be it can be very difficult because they travel great distances and unlike any other fish um steve salmons the auburn biologist who studies shoal bass down out of, down there in south georgia or south alabama coming into georgia a lot he um he does a lot of studies and i've listened to a lot of his work and his case studies on shoal bass and what he's found out about them and they've tagged some of these fish that have traveled over 200 miles wow they've come up and down river systems that far just to spawn it almost reminds me of a striped bass that will go way up a river during its spawning season and then back out to a big lake or maybe even the ocean um so there's that to think about and matter of fact it was so i was just listening to one of his um drew gregory actually did a special podcast with him not long ago i was gonna say I, that name sounds familiar and i i now that you as soon as you said that i was like yep i remember listening to that the one where he went over every black bass species yeah he talked about in that story he told about that one shoal bass they tagged that went from the top of upper flint river all the way down through lake seminole through the lake through the locks of the dam down the dam into another river basin and then somehow got back up crazy unexplainable stuff so right I've, I've heard stories from some of these biologists that during heavy flooding these fish will go up fall if they can wow so there's really nothing that can stop this fish from its traveling and if they were determined to go somewhere it seems like um, they're starting to find them in other places of the country that they probably shouldn't be found. So there's some definitely illegal introductions still happening with the fish, unfortunately. Um, as much as I love the shoal bass, I don't want that fish to go ruin somebody else's fishery. Because um, it, it can do it. It can, it can definitely have a huge impact on another fishery. Uh, I don't know about it as devastating as spotted bass, but they will hybridize with other black bass. So that's an issue. Um, right. And the, the Oak Mogi River in particular was an introduction as well, but it was done by the DNR with them not knowing any better in the 70s that I don't know what made them do that. It's <laughs> talked about they, they put those fish in the Oak Mogi River, which was mainly largemouth and Altamaha bass, another rare black bass species only in the Altamaha River Basin, um, that it's really hurt that population. So you have a lot of hybriding going on in the Old Mogi River with shoal bass, spotted bass, and these Altamaha bass, and Altamaha bass are almost not a thing anymore. Um, so that is, it's been an issue, but I, I can't really complain that much because I love catching them all. I mean, <laughs> a, I don't care if it's a hybrid, I, I love chasing them all. They're very mean fish. And like you said, pound for pound, and I've caught smallmouth in Tennessee before. Um, yeah, I, <laughs> it's hard to beat. A shoal bass. Now I can tell you that if I had to leave the state of Georgia and move, it would be just a smallmouth fishery. Okay. Because that's the closest I can ever get to fishing for a shoal bass again. And so, and how many places are shoal bass found throughout the country? Is it mostly just in Georgia in south in the Apicola River Basin, which is the Chattahoochee River, the Flint River, Chipola River in Florida. So that little corridor in that southwest corner, south West corner of Georgia, southeast corner of Alabama, northwest corner of Florida. Okay. It makes amazing. Lake, Lake Seminole, Lake Blackshear. Uh, the Chattahoochee runs through um, West Point Lake. So that that river basin down there is where you find them and in the tributaries. Uh, Interesting. Them, you will find them all the way up the full stretch of the Chattahoochee River, all the way up in the north Georgia. Um, they're up there in the Hawassi River. Uh, they're all up through anywhere the Chattahoochee runs through its tributaries. Okay. Uh, now the Old Mogi River, since they were introduced there in the 70s, they now are in the Altamaha River Basin, which also, the Altamaha River Basin actually connects with the Oconee River, and that makes up the Altamaha River when those two river touches. So okay. they've been known to come down the Old Mogi, turn the corner and go back up the Oconee, and all the way down the Altamaha River down to the south end of Georgia. So, um, they like they like they have to have rocks. They have to have current. They will not live in a lake. Um, they will pass through lakes, but you will not find them in lakes. Um, Interesting. Just this fish. The only way it thrives is in current. Um, okay. Now it's original name, which I have a hard time saying, um, but it describes it as a fish that likes to live in white water in the fall. So okay. I've caught them in white water. 
Um, wow. So I don't. I, I can't say that I've ever caught a smallmouth in whitewater. You may have, um, but I I've caught it in fast moving current and ripples. But I wouldn't consider what I caught them in whitewater. You know, it it was something I had to be anchored to to be sitting there and definitely moving quick rapid movement or water like uh but it, i wouldn't say it would like it's not something i would be afraid of going through in my kayak so let's put it that way yeah. so i've i've literally caught them in rapids in the wow. white water okay uh, 15 inches 16 inches and i've even seen some bigger ones in that kind of water i had once maybe try to blow up on a top water cutting through or something like that where it seems like the smallmouth like to hang more towards the eddy line mm-hmm Soul bass kind of spread themselves off through all that. They're in okay. the push water. They're in the white water. They're in the above the shoal in the push water up there. They're in the tail waters. They're where you find. They're found where every fish can be found in a river, and plus in the center of the river. So, a lot of our rivers, as rocky as they are, they have a lot of these underwater big rock shoals that run down the center of the river. So you could be in the very middle of the river catching shoal bass. And trying to, and that's what makes them hard to pattern. Is like you can, mm-hmm. you can find them on wood. You're gonna find them on rock. You're gonna find them in shoals. You're gonna find them in slack water. I mean, that's the crazy part about it is figuring out where they're at that day or that time of year, depending on where they where they're at. And um, pressure will run them off. And that's another thing I've noticed here this year is that the pressure on my local river has made this fish a little more scarce. Now, when you're talking about tournaments, and we just had a two in the last month on the Okmulgee River, people are going to find a bigger fish. It's just going to happen. But right. if it was just you and me out there one day, we're not covering that kind of water, so it may be a little bit harder for us to find a 20-inch shoal bass, 21, swimming around. You might run into a lot of 12s, 15s. You might catch a couple big spots, a, a big large mouth. But it's just a little harder to do, but when you have 40 boats on a, on one stretch of river fishing a tournament, somebody's bound to run into the good fish if they're there. Um, but here lately, it's just seemed like there's been so much pressure on the river. I'm having to go to other places that I haven't really focused on to see where they're going. And I do look at a lot of smallmouth uh, patterns to see mm-hmm. if the shoals kind of following the same pattern. Um, I follow some guys out of North Alabama and Huntsville who fish for smallmouth. They fly fish for smallmouth up there and out of the Tennessee River Basins. And as he was saying that in their rivers, these smallmouth run up the tributaries in the heat of the summer. And they come out of that main river. Um, so that has me like scratching my head like, okay, do, should I go look for show bass in some of the smaller creeks and tributaries when it gets really hot and that water level comes down because a lot of these rivers are dammed up. So they'll generate from time to time and raise the current up, which will bring the fish back up closer. But right. if it's constantly low, where are these fish going? Because you're not going to find your big shoal bass hanging in heavy current when it's hot. Mm-hmm. And that's like, I, I've experienced that. Um, I go to a certain set of shoals that I like to fish where there's usually good quality fish and they're just not there. Um, you run into a lot of the 12, 13, 14, 15 inches. And where, where, where are the 16, 17, 18 inch plus fish at? And they're, you can't find them. So I have a train of thought, like maybe these bigger fish, you know, their, their whole thing is survival and conserving energy. So maybe they're mo- these bigger ones are moving into the slacker water. Um, the, all they need is a little bit of current. So what's going to stop them from moving somewhere where they can conserve more energy close enough to a shoal where if they need to feed up or get more oxygen, they're going more towards that moving water where it's a little more, more oxygenated. Um, Especially if they're willing to travel, like like you right. say, I mean yeah. they'll they'll move to where they find feel comfortable, and if they have to go, you know, a long way, that's what they do. I imagine so. Right. I can and see that where that would be make targeting or you know finding patterns pretty tough. I mean, there's definitely times where I think I'll have a smallmouth pattern dialed in, and then I'll go like this. Just happened to me last night. I. I had been crushing it on top water after the sun went down behind the horizon. I, I could throw a popper and pretty much slay them. And then last night I couldn't get a top water bite after the sun broke the horizon to save my life. I think I caught like maybe one or two, whereas it was almost every other cast and they were, you know, prior to last night, they were, you know, big fish, you know, that's when I was catching my 15, 16, 17s. Um, whereas, you know, before the sun 
kind of went down. It was, you know, the little twelves and, you know, little dinks, but um, for whatever reason, last night, that pattern completely went away. And I, I'm not sure why, because it was just there. Like the last, uh, I went out twice last week, both times followed that same pattern. It was lights out. And then last night, for whatever reason, just didn't play out. So I imagine with uh, a show bass that will travel far, that would make that even more difficult. I'd be second guessing myself left and right. <laughs> I mean, it's crazy. I mean, like Drew Gregory has really cracked the code on soul bass. Um, there's a couple other guys I know that are pretty good at it too. I'm not saying I'm the do all say all, but I've been very successful catching a good amount of soul bass. Um, but I follow and study Drew Gregory like a specimen because he does know how to catch these fish. He does know how to pattern. He's been doing it for a very long time. And I had the opportunity to run an interview on my river one day. <laughs> I actually got a picture with him a couple of years ago and he was, That's out awesome. there, he was out there making the magic happen. I'm not even going to lie. Like I was impressed watching because he didn't, we were a shoal above him and he was coming up a shoal and we were in some pretty heavy early spring current. And he was in his original Akusa with another guy we know. And I watched him pull at least three 18 plus inch shoal bass out right in front of me. In a, yeah. of like, in a span of about 10 minutes, I watched him. And I'm talking about muddy stained water. Like, I'm like, how is he doing this? Like, I've been out here all day and caught four fish. <laughs> I talked to my the guy that was fishing with him. He was like, man, he's been putting a hammer on him all day long. And I'm like, man, he's wearing him out. So yeah, I, I, I listened to, I actually went back early on and listened to a lot of his parley podcasts that he was doing with uh, the river bass and, and the um, hooked on wild water stuff he was doing with Mr. Timothy Noisewater. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. And yep. He broke yep. down a lot of stuff, and it made it started making sense to me. It was like putting a puzzle together. He started really making sense of things, and I was experiencing these things every time I went to the river. And I started getting that puzzle put together too. And once I did that, it was like, okay, got it. Now it's time to figure out where these fish are. Now I got to refine the fish. Once I find them, I can break it down. That's been the hard part going into the year in and year out. I know I can catch them in the early spring. Those big females are out there feeding. I mean, you get in that stained water with a chatterbait and you can put the hammer on some big females in the early spring. It's just when you start getting into that June, July, August time frame that it's, it's, it's hard to find. It's hard to get quality. I can catch mm -hmm. a bunch of little ones, mm -hmm. but, and I fish a certain way. So, I mean, it's, I power fish for the most part. Um, but here lately, I've been doing what I like to call power finesse. And every cast I make is a purposeful cast. That cast has purpose. It's a targeted cast for a specific reason. I don't really fan cast, just kind of cover water. I know a lot of people like to use that to try to find fish. But mm -hmm. when I'm when I'm fishing shoals for shoal bass, I'm targeting certain things. I'm looking for the fish to react a certain way to what I'm doing. And that goes back to me raising fish as a kid. Because a lot of the African cichlids I raised liked rocky formations. Interesting. They're, they're very aggressive, just like shoal bass. And shoal bass have the tendency just to hit something just out of it being aggressive. They're not even hungry. and But they see it. That's a problem. They're going to eat it. So that's kind of the way I look at them. And I was, um, this kind of hit me one day. I was walking through a pretty, pretty large shoal complex on my river. And I was looking at the rock formations. I was standing in about thigh high water. And I was looking at these row of shoals just shooting out. And it looked like rows, like almost like theater seating. Mm -hmm. And there was in between there was like patches of this grass and milfoil in there. And I'm watching, I can see the shoal bass transferring transverse bursting through the rocks and i'm like okay so that's very interesting to me because i was thinking about raising fish and i was like they used to do the same stuff in my aquarium like they weren't in current but they would stay in these rocks and if i drop bait in the tank 
and it started to float, and they're hiding back in one of those rocks. And as soon as that bait got in front of that rock, shoot out real quick, hit it, and go back in. Full bass were doing the exact same thing. Exact same thing. I spent one day in May standing on a rock in the middle of the river for 45 minutes trying to catch one fish. <laughs> I'm literally standing over the fish's head. It was a female. Mm-hmm. I'm standing on the rock that she's under, and I have a TRD, and I'm literally watching her come out of the rock, mouth the bait, and I'm just trying to get a good hook set and surprise her. And she she gave me 45 minutes of her time before <laughs> I actually caught her. And I was, it was only a 16 inch female, and I, but I mean, she, I, it's just one of those things. I was like, once I started to understand what they were doing, I knew I could stand on rocks and do that. I was like, okay, I can go to each one of these pools and probably just drag a crawfish or something right down in there and entice these fish to come out. Sometimes there were three or four stacked up in one rock. And it was just, it was crazy. I mean, once, once I figured that out, it was, that's how I just like to go fish for them now. It was, you know, I, I, I go get like a three inch minnow with a ball head dig something I can if I need to set it on the bottom I can set it on the bottom and work it or I can mm-hmm. drag it past the rocks and uh, top water is just bar none for soul bass like if you're not throwing top water against soul bass just you're, you're missing out I mean you could throw a whopper plopper and drag it over these shoals and you can see them you can see the shadows just shooting out coming out <laughs> They'll try to grab it real quick. And that's what I like about a soul bass. They'll grab it real quick and go back in. They won't even look at it. They don't even care what it is. It's just, we're going to grab it, take it back in this rock, and eat and devour it. And they'll come out and just tear up off the floppers, buzz baits, and whatever you can drag through there. So I, I kind of sit parallel to the shoals, and I'll just go up each column and get them to come in and out of there. So okay. that's been successful for me. And I know I can fish smallmouth the same way because I've done it. I was going to say, it, I, I have used patterns very similar to that for smallmouth and even trout. Um, I remember sitting in a trout stream, kind of the same story. I saw one peek out, uh, peek its head out from under an uh, overhang of rock, kind of. And I sat there for half an hour just trying different ways of floating my bait down past that rock or trying to get it to stop right outside until I finally found a spot where you come out and, and nail it uh, so that's cool. I mean, it, it has to be a good feeling and also neat just to watch a fish in its natural habitat, you know, you know, doing its thing. It's got to be uh, a good learning experience, but also just uh, cool to experience that. So, yeah, it's, it's I've been here lately. I've been throwing flukes. Um, I'm not really a fluke kind of fisherman. I, I, I've thrown flukes before, just never really could find. I didn't have a lot of confidence in it. I have mm-hmm. more confidence throwing a swim bait or, a, you know, dragging a crawl or a jig. Um, but when I started throwing flukes, and I got to give a shout out to Blaine Upton on this because he actually talked about that was one of his favorite things to throw in a river on a, another podcast with Brian. And I started, I, I said, let me let me see what this is all about. Let me just actually dedicate some time to throwing a fluke. And I was throwing on a kill weighted hook. Um, and believe it or not, man, that, that fluke. I was lighting them up in some current on that fluke. I would throw it out there and let it kind of swirl down in the current and give it a couple jerk. And before you know it, they were on it. Like I just, my line would just stiffen up in the current. I knew they were on it. And I was like, man, this stuff actually, this actually works really well. So it's now another I've thrown in the tool bag. What kind of weight were you using? Because I've tried flukes before in the river and um, just n- didn't have a lot of feel for where what was happening to it, um, almost to the point. But I was doing mostly weightless so that it, I was throwing a weightless fluke over top of like uh, grass, hoping to kind of just sit on top of the grass, not actually get down in it. I, I was looking for more like a, a weedless kind of bait to use. Um, but uh, I... I kind of shied away from the current because every time I threw it in the current, it would just blow right through it and come right back to me. So I'm throwing a one, six ounce keel weighted. Um, what is it? The, um, Oh my God. It's the new Z man. hooks that has the, uh, the key. Oh, bait. yep. I know what you're talking about. Uh, I've been throwing a one, six ounce with a Senate jerk shad, a Z man. Um, matter of fact, Brian Lattimore has a really good video on his setups for that. And that's kind of who I kind of mimic behind. And that setup has been really good. Like it doesn't get the, 
it doesn't sink straight to the bottom, but it holds in the water column a little better than a weightless one. Or you, like you said, it gets blown around and kind of just loses its composure and the fish kind of lose it. This one mm-hmm. drops, it slowly falls as the current's pushing it. It's still getting pushed around like crazy, but it has a, like a kind of a wounded fish looking fall and it's kind right. of jerking going down and it excites those fish. They'll come out. They don't even really look at it too long. It's, it's there and they'll grab it. As I start to maybe try to get a cadence going, I've had them grab it and I've been actually making really long casts where I can't even see the fluke and I'm just jerk, jerk, pause, let it kind of swirl and boom, as soon as it starts, as soon as it starts to make that fall again, they're, they're on it. Um, so I've had a real good time using the flukes. I know Drew and he was throwing a freaking, um, a magnum fluke. Mm -hmm. Massive. Yeah. he throws it in white water, and these big shoal bass will just, you'll see his line pop, and they'll be on him. I mean, that's the thing about shoal bass is their mouth is not small like a small mouth or a spot. Their mouth is very comparable to a large mouth. Not as big, but picture I share it with you. I sent yep. that one to show people, you know, their mouth is, a, they, they, they try to bite off more than they can probably chew, but... They they'll take a much larger bait. You catch them on big swim baits too. They'll um, they'll definitely get on big swim baits. Um, so they're not shy about what they're gonna go eat. It doesn't take small baits to get get them on big stuff. Let's see. I was just gonna see if I can share my screen, but I shared the wrong window. Let me see here. Let me remove that one. <laughs> um, I was gonna ask you about size. Um, how comparable their uh, their size was because I. To me, I always pictured them as smaller, but a 20 inch is not going to be smaller. So, they're, it sounds like they're very comparable to smallies and largemouth. Oh, yeah. You can get them, you know, six pounders. Uh, you know, the record's eight pounds, three ounces, I believe it is. Okay. And now that's. I keep on sharing the wrong screen. Sorry. Let me close that one. That way I won't share it anymore. So through how I'm sorry, how big did you say? Oh, uh, you get six. You can catch six pounders. Uh, a, a really big one would be a seven pounder. Um, eight pounds is the record. Eight pounds and three ounces or four ounces, like something like that. Um, there we go. Now we got it. Right there was about nineteen. Um, nineteen. And yeah, you're right. I mean, just from the mouth size, it does. You know, it does look like more of a large mouth type mouth. Oh, and we have we have actually the other picture almost even shows that better. Uh, the other picture you sent me. Let me share that real quick. For sure, share. See if I can pick the right one. There we go. Yeah. So you're looking at that. You can definitely tell. You know, that's that's a pretty good sized mouth right there. Uh, definitely not a smally mouth for sure. <laughs> Yeah, they they'll um, they'll tear it up. That's awesome. I I definitely am going to have to make a trip. Uh, I'm a Braves fan. I was just talking to Gene Jensen about uh, my Braves and coming down to Georgia. Gene told me to come down and visit him, but while I'm down there, I might have to uh, check out the Sholies for sure. Hey, that sounds like a lot of fun. <laughs> Got some places to stay. My buddy Clay stays right up the street from me as well. Um, he was on with Brian a few weeks ago, talking about veterans kayak fishing, and mm-hmm. oh, the invitation's open. We got you. Come on down. Oh, that, I'm gonna have to do that here uh, sometime. I gotta rebuild my vacation up a little bit, but uh, that is definitely gonna be a bucket list for me. Maybe who knows? Maybe we can talk the paddle and fin guys into doing a a meetup down there. Uh, yeah, be, you know, that'd you guys, uh, they're not too far from a bunch of the guys. Uh, you know. Jimmy's down there, Dan Perry, you know, they're all kind of down in that neck of the woods. It's a bit of a hike for us Northern guys, but definitely sounds like it'd be worth it. Be a good meetup spot. So. So you mean you got a few rivers in Georgia you can come to. I mean, the the main river that you're going to want to find old bass in is going to be the Flint. That's the natural home. Uh, That's where they're from. That's the the fish that fishes from that river. That's the native species of that river is old bass. Okay. that river, the Tattahoochee, and the Old Mogi. Now, the the tournaments that you guys do down there are they just pretty much all black bass species, or do they focus on any in particular? It's all black bass. You can have a okay. 
three different species in it, sometimes four. Okay, interesting. You have have you caught? I was going to say, have you caught one of the? What was the other bass? Uh, bass that you said they uh, the shoals are kind of wiping out there a little bit. Oh, you got oh, Georgia has a ton of black bass species. People really don't know about. We have besides the other red eyes, you have Bartram's bass, Chattahoochee bass. You got. We have our own Georgia smallmouth in the Savannah River. You got the Altamaha bass. That's I mean, the one, yeah. You got the Swanee bass down in South Georgia in the swamps. I mean, we have a ton of different fish and black bass species right here in our state that you can chase. That's awesome. We got a big bass. We got the uh, the bass slam here where you can catch, go and try to catch all the different species and get an angler award for that. Okay. Uh, yeah, we got we have them all down here. I mean, if you go to Alabama, there's even more. You got, you know, different, you got the, the Kabata bass, you got the Tallapoosa bass, you got the Pusa Alabama bass, and then you got, you, you got the Black Warrior bass. There are all kinds of black bass. You, know, you can literally come down to, between Alabama, Georgia, and South Carolina and just kind of take a tour of the black bass species. That's awesome. All- I remember listening to that, that show you're talking about that uh, Drew did um where they went over and i had no clue that there was all those different types of bass and strains and you know i it was that was a super interesting show so anybody if you're curious it's it's on hooked on wild waters uh and it it's probably like six months back now i think at this point or something like that uh where he had that that guy on four months ago he had steve uh, salmon's on. it's not hard to find on any yeah we can find hooked on wild waters so yes and Very for those of you guys who who don't know, um, Drew actually just joined Paddle and Finn for uh, our tournament recap show. And he's also, in, in doing that, then he's going to kind of focus his own podcast back more on the uh, kind of river bassing kind of deal. So he was uh, super excited about that. So definitely check him out here on Paddle and Finn, but also uh, check out his other podcasts. So. Yeah, I'm going to send you another picture. All right. The 1911 is one of the most iconic firearms in history. Designed by John Browning, the 1911 was the standard issue sidearm of the U.S. military from 1911 to 1985. While Colt produced the original, almost every major firearm company has produced its own version. It's wildly revered for its reliability, crisp trigger, and is still a favorite for all types of shooters. Whether you're looking to buy or build a 1911 and just about everything for guns, log on to MidwayUSA.com. Let me see here. I will go back. Well, uh, Garrett's looking for that picture. Um, Garrett, um, how many, uh, what's your tournament experience been like? I know Brian told me to bust your chops a little bit for skipping out on his, uh, or on the tournament last weekend, but, uh, um, what's your ter- tournament experience been like? Um, I've done a few, I've done some local tournaments here with some of our local clubs. Uh, I did our first Bass State Championship tournament this past fall. Uh, I like tournaments, but I'm not sure if tournaments are for me in this aspect that certain other people are doing. Man, you know, it's I enjoy doing tournaments, but I also found that I don't enjoy my catches as much when I'm tournament fishing. I mean, okay. No, I, I like, definitely feel you there. I like going to places like Dale Hollow and getting on a new body of water. Um, that's always fun, and I'll always like to do those kind of tournaments. But as far as breaking myself every weekend to go hit a tournament is kind of not not what I really enjoy doing. I enjoy the skinny water shoal bass and black bass species fishing. That's kind of um, kind of my my wheelhouse and what I like to do. Okay. Um, because, you know, it's not just about just going and putting a kayak in the water and going to fish and say, oh, I'm kayak fishing. It's an adventure. Right. Um, and that's what does it for me, is the adventure part of it. Um, it's going to catch shoal bass. I've told Brian this. It's not for the weak or the faint-hearted. It's typically some work. And I'm not going to say a little bit of work. A lot of work involved in going to catch <laughs> shoal bass. Okay. You're going gonna to be tired. Um you're going to go into some water that you're not comfortable going in and you're going to see some scenery that you're just going to be just awed about. I mean, there's places on the water that you would never see unless you go and work for it. Right. 
I know Drew talks a lot about that too, you know, getting to back to those waters that nobody will put in the work to get to, but that what, what a difference that makes, you know? And, um, I, again, I, I feel you with the, uh, the tournament stuff. Uh, I, the thing I like about tournaments is, um, the camaraderie more than anything else and getting to fish waters that I normally wouldn't fish because, uh, you know, I, I might not make the trip unless I'm going to go fish a tournament there. And at, the competition is kind of like the least thing for me. You know, I, not that I'm not competitive at times. I, I definitely have a streak of that in me, but, um, I definitely enjoy more just fishing with friends and getting to meet new people, getting to fish new waters. And like you said, the, the experience and coming back with a story, you know, to me is almost more important than, Oh, you know, what was your bag or, you know, uh, where did you finish? You know, that that's kind of secondary for me. That's not the part of the experience that drives it for me. So let me share the picture you just sent me. We'll show these guys a uh, pretty good look, a uh, good looking group of kayak fishermen. That's a, a pretty good group of anglers right there. Look at that. So that's cool. I that so Drew's in his uh, Drew's in uh, Akusa there. It looks like right. And who's the other gentleman there with you? Oh, did I lose you? Oh, let me put you back on there. Did you get muted, Garrett? I can't hear you all of a sudden. Let me stop sharing that screen and see if that brings you back. You still there? Hmm. Somehow lost my audio on you. Um, if you drop out and come back in, that might work. Um, sometimes that fixes our audio problems. Bear with us, folks. Garrett's just trying to hop back in here. Um, we had a pretty nice picture there of him and Drew Gregory and one other gentleman. I don't know if that was Ken Morris or uh, didn't look like him to me, but uh, once we'll see if uh, Garrett gets back in here who that was with him. Definitely uh, Georgia Sholey Bass is going to be uh, a target uh, fish for me. Um, hopefully someday I will get down there. Uh, maybe give Dan Perry and Jimmy Skinner a visit while I'm down in their neck of the woods. Uh, make my way back to Dale Hollow while I'm somewhere down in that area. It's not super close to Georgia, but it's definitely in the vicinity. So we'll see what happens here. Oh, there we go. Let's add Garrett back in. And a stream. Now I can hear you again, I think. Yep. Cool. So uh, who was that in that picture? I know Drew Gregory and you, and who was the other gentleman? So the other guy is Steven Reynolds. He's the other new canoe team member of mine, good buddy of mine. We're both, we both serve in the Army together. Um, okay. Well, thank you for their service, by the way. I forgot to say that earlier, but I appreciate that. So. Yeah, we've been fishing together since 2018. Kind of, if you see me on the river, you're going to see him not probably not far behind or somewhere in the river with me. So, okay, I fish as a team. So, that's pretty cool. It's always nice to have someone to, you know, you know, close that you can share that experience with, you know, for sure. Try out new places together, that kind of thing. Yeah, that's why, like, we were talking about, like, you were talking about Drew Greg, you're talking about the, you know, the adventure to get there. It's like, when I first started fishing for shoal bass, I was going to what we call safe stretches, where it was really easy to access, and I realized I was missing out. I was like, I'm going to have to go through some of this water I'm not comfortable going with to go catch some of these bigger fish or get to some of these better areas, and it was well worth the experience. Even if I flipped a kayak or something like that, it was still worth it, I mean you're going to catch some some fish in the scenery that you're just going to be like, wow, this is unbelievable. I can't believe this is actually in my state. Like it's, I didn't know places like this existed and you find yep. them all, all the way around. I know my buddy Steven has actually been on the Susquehanna before. He was there okay. a couple of years ago and it, he, he said it was a little much. He, he went and rented a kayak from a local shop, paddle shop just to go out there and see if he could catch something and they did like a, I guess it, they had a certain amount of time to get down to the next stop where they missed their pickup. But you got to go out there. He said that river is huge. He said, I guess the section they ran, I guess there's some big statue or something. Yep. 
Yeah, he, he had some pictures, and I was like, yeah, that river's massive. Like, I can imagine – I was watching actually the uh, Susquehanna smallmouth guide. I was watching some of his videos and just like, wow, that ri- like the, the the size of that river and the shoals that are in it is like, how is that even possible? But you guys <laughs> have these huge schools of smallmouth going through there. That is insane. And like even Steve Sammons was talking about that, those smallmouth were introduced in that river. And right. Like that would have been a natural habitat for them. So, right. It's crazy. Yeah. If you can find, if you can find a pack of them, I mean, it only takes, you know, getting that pack one or two excited and then you you can catch almost every fish in the pack because they are that aggressive and, you know, it's just, you want to just get the fish off your hook, get it back in there as quick as you can, just to see how many you can pull out of that spot. And, um, yeah, but I, I, I was talking, I used to have my, my old co-host Ryan, he was from Tennessee and, and one some one evening we were talking about river fishing and it just i asked him well how wide is your river and he's like oh at the widest point it's you know 200 feet and i was like oh and then in my mind in that instant it clicked how different it is in my mind whenever anybody talks about fishing a river i think oh you know susquehanna but the susquehanna is so much different than 90 percent of the rivers out there so that for some reason that a light bulb went off for me at that point and i was like oh my river is completely different than your river but uh there's definitely you know you know the same kind of habitat it just magnified by you know 100 times right so it's mad rivers massive compared to my rivers i mean and uh i mean it's not like that river i mean we got plenty of room so it's just, but at, it at the same time, I would like to try some of those smaller ones because I feel like, you know, one of the things that intimidated me the most when I first started fishing the river was just where do I even start? And um, I've, you know, since learned kind of much better, you know, the kind of places and types of places that I want to target. But initially I was just like, holy cow, you know, granted, there's a lot of fish there, but you still have to be somewhat selective in where you fish because there's a lot of water that doesn't hold as much fish, you know? So um, initially that was daunting. And that's why I'm like, I almost wanted to try like Dale, Dale hollow was a little interest or I was like, it's, you know, it's big and it, it winds and dines its way around, but it's definitely not Susquehanna big, you know? So that's why I was super excited to go there and try it. Um, And then a little disappointed that it, it wasn't like I had heard, but, you know, still thankful to it was beautiful and it was uh, just a cool setting. And plus to get to finally meet a bunch of the paddle and fin guys that I had talked to online so many times, but never met in person. So it was really cool just to meet the rest of the guys. But um, yeah, so again, you know, the adventure is 90% of it for me and, you know, I, I love one of the Drew's favorite things that he always talks about is, you know, finding the fish that might have never seen a lure before, you know, obviously they're going to be easier to catch, I would think, but still knowing that, you know, nobody has been back there to where those fish are. And I've, you know, have, I can't say I've been there a ton of different times because I fish a lot of the same water more just because I don't, I have limited time. So I go to where I can in the time I have provided, but on the rare occasions that I do get to explore an adventure, I, I have found those um, fish way back in the middle of nowhere, you know, that, you know, 90% of the people won't take the time or effort to make it back there. So. Right. That's the fun of it right there is I know not everybody's going to go do that. Not everybody's willing to go drag your kayak up multiple shoals or go up really heavy current, you know, and we do that a lot just because I don't really particularly like float trips because to me, you're disturbing the fish before you even get to them. Mm-hmm. Um, you're stirring up water, you're stirring up dirt. I mean, you're stirring up all kinds of stuff, just trying to get down there. So a lot of times we'll go in below and go up and come up behind them and sneak up on them that way. That's typically how I like to chase anything. Okay. That's what it was okay. really important for me to get the right boat. And say, okay, right. And he does a great job. But after hours and hours of doing that, you're going to be pretty worn out in F10. Oh, yeah. But... The, the limited has been pivotal here lately on rivers. I mean, I've been 
it's been a breeze going up to some of these shoals and going through some of these shoals and traversing some of these shoals and getting to these fish. So it's been a really good boat. And like I said, I know you got a Kusa HD already as well. That's a great river boat as well. I mean, the nose design on that boat, it just kind of swoops water around it. You can get in some really good current in that boat and fish hold your position almost without anger. Right. Um, you see, some of these boats do some amazing stuff in current. But, um, right. I'd love to, I'm, I'm waiting for the, uh, the, uh, new canoe dealer near me to actually get stock enough that I can go try one. Cause yeah. he, every, every one he gets in is almost sold before he, you know, gets to even display it or, you know, put it out. So, um, I've been waiting patiently to even just to try one, you know, cause I've heard the same thing. Stability is unmatched, unmatched anything I've ever gotten in. You don't even get to secondary stability in that boat. I can stand in the seat in that boat. Um, wow. I can stand up in the river going down current in that boat. I mean, wow. it is insane. That's awesome. I, I am, like I said, super looking forward to trying that. Because um, even, like, I'm a smaller guy, and, um, like, I think my Outback has stupid stability, you know. I almost feel like you'd have to be doing something pretty dumb to fall, to, to flip that. And my... The Kusa HD was very similar. You know, I could all but stand on the rail of that thing and it wouldn't go the whole way over, you know. Um, and so I can't even imagine what, what some of those boats, the wider boats and the, the, you know, even more stable boats are like. Because, I mean, I, I already feel like I'm super stable in my boat and I know that there are, you know, steps above that yet. So uh, definitely something I'm looking forward to trying, so. Yeah, it's definitely. Yeah, you guys definitely need to come down here and, and dip your toes in our waters and come put your come come put your shoal bass or your smallmouth up against the shoal bass. Tell me what you think. Um, that that sounds like a good plan. I've heard Drew's opinion. Um, I'm not gonna say it on this podcast, but I've heard his opinion on what he thinks is the the better fighting fish. I'll let you be the judge of that. Okay. All right. I'll have to message him too and just uh ask him uh see what he says but well all right garrett um we're go ahead yeah that's like to me it's midway usa brand product designers have one straightforward goal develop high quality technically sound products and deliver them to customers at reasonable prices if you are immersed in the shooting sports industry and pay close attention to every single detail you know our products are built right and stand up to everyday use who has shooting mats and range bag systems to hunting clothing and just about everything for the outdoors? Log on and shop 24-7 with super fast shipping. MidwayUSA.com I particularly like the shoal bass over any other fish I've caught. Okay. Now, I, said I have a ton of experience with smallmouth. I've caught, a, I've caught at least eight or ten of them when I was up in Tennessee a couple of years ago. Um, mm -hmm. Nothing really huge. 16, 17, I ain't 17. Most of them were 16 and below, but they put up a good fight. It was hard to compare versus a shoal bass because comparatively I've caught the shoal bass I've caught were typically and the smaller ones were on a lot heavier current. So they fight a little bit harder. It seems like they're fighting harder. That current's also helping them. But uh, the, the smallmouth I were catching are more of like a, just a good, fast moving current. They put up a good fight, but it was, it wasn't like I had a struggle with them to get them out. Um, now, not saying them. A five pound or four pound smallmouth is not going to give it to me. I'm sure they will. I've I've seen the stories and heard the stories about smallmouth and seen the some of the videos and I imagine that is it has to be one A and one B with a shoal bass and a smallmouth. I've had um I've had smallies just run under my boat and spin me around like like nobody's business. Like they weren't even trying, you know. But I can't imagine um, if you're talking about catching. A shoal bass in rapids any fish that can live and hunt in rapids is going to be a f strong fish so extremely strong i mean you'll you'll hook into a 14 and be like oh this is a good fish I mean, <laughs> you when you set the hook that fish was six pounds i guarantee it <laughs> this fish is 14 inches what's going on here? so i felt so silly before the same thing with smallmouth i'll be like oh my gosh this thing's huge and then it comes up and I'm like oh okay maybe not but still a ton of fun i i know exactly what you're talking about so well, all right dude we we hit the hour mark that's usually what we try and hit so um again i i'm totally psyched to give that a try so thank you for coming on do you have any um 
uh, uh, sponsors you'd like to shout out or, you know, social media that you, you're sharing. Two people I like to talk about, uh, Veterans Kayak Fishing for supporting me and um, me and Clay doing what we do uh, for veterans. Uh, Westbrook Supply and Fletch for uh, putting me in these great boats I've been in. Uh, all the guys at New Canoe, they're great, uh, especially in the southeast region. I was just visiting with Eddie McCray today down at his shop. Um, Everett, Blake have been great. Um, all the guys on the team I've met have been great. Brian's great. Uh, Paladin Finn, I mean, a few years ago, I, I kind of stumbled across you guys' podcast and kind of listened to it here and there in between other podcasts. But as you guys, have, I've watched you guys grow into, like, this massive conglomerate of podcasts. It's awesome. <laughs> Um, and uh, Classic City Kayak Anglers um, and our kayak fishing team that I'm on. I mean, we're doing good things for the community and the kayak fishing community, and they've supported me and Coyote Outfitters, Westbrook Supply, uh, Cedar Rock Outfitters. They're all great. Um, those are kind of my cornerstones. But, yeah, that's kind of the kind of folks I like to be around. So, great, but great Definitely. As in kayak anglers and, yeah. It's a community like no other. I always tell people that. And, and I feel so silly that for the longest time, I, you know, I just didn't feel like I would fit in. And, you know, when I finally took a shot and gave it a chance, I was amazed at the number of people that are just genuinely nice people in, in the community and who will do just about anything they can for you. So uh, definitely a community like no other. And, you know, uh, uh, a group I've come to call family. So definitely thankful for them. Yeah, and the biggest shout out goes out to my wife. She allows me to be this big kid and do this stuff. I mean, without her, I mean, I wouldn't be doing nothing. So, cool, cool. All right, man. Well, thanks again so much. Uh, shout out to Brian Schiller too for hooking me up with you and uh, giving me the idea to, and and let uh, connecting us because that was uh, super helpful to me. And uh, so definitely uh, have to have you back on again sometime, man. And yeah, um, Brian. He's got it coming. <laughs> you hear that, Brian? He keeps talking. He's, he's got it coming. He's throwing down, man. All right, Garrett. Well, thanks again um, to all the listeners. This has been the Bass Fishing for Noobs segment on the Paddle and Fin podcast, bringing you the techniques, the tricks, and the tips to help you rip more lips. Good night, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to another killer episode on Paddle and Fin. Don't forget to go check out our website at paddle, the letter N, and fin.com. Don't forget to check out the YouTube channel at Paddle and Fin. If you got a question, comment, want to hear from a future guest on a future episode, feel free to email us at paddle, the letter N, and fin at gmail.com. Don't forget to follow us on social media at Paddle and Fin on Facebook and Instagram. Shout out to our show supporters, Angler, the Angler Button and app just makes for a better time on the water and creates a virtual logbook for every fishing outing out on the water shout out to rocktown adventures located in northern illinois for all your kayaking camping and hiking needs shout out to jig masters jigs when in doubt get the jig out go to jigmasters.com a life that has the stories to back it a life to be proud of it's a Winchester life. Yeah, baby. 6-8 Western. Oh, I'm the old there, baby. Right there. Tune in every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. Brave anglers search for the one they call king, but who will take his throne? Tune in to Waypoint TV's Battle for Silver, Saturday, May 18th from 12 to 6 p.m. Eastern. Presented by Abyss Battery. Waypoint TV.